0: Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone. Come on. Greet them tonight. Good to see you out. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was a lovely day, wasn't it? And uh, we have uh, been getting excited and more and more excited (laughs) about what's coming up. We've got the Beast Feast and we've got flyers down here. We've got a bunch of them. And Daquan, I'm telling you, when we run into folks out on visitation, we need to talk to them. People, when we run into folks at the store, think about people that serve you in restaurants, stores, gas stations, and so forth. You know them well enough to, to say, you remember me. I, I'm the one that I gas up here at pump number six or whatever. And uh, you can invite people. And uh, if somebody's got a, a, a young man, uh, a young adult, let's invite them. Let's get as many men and boys out for the beast feast, and let's use these flyers. I've got sign-up boards down here, so that we can sign up for several other main dishes, and all the meat is going to be given to you. Now, this Sunday night, all right, Sunday night, February 26th, isn't it? The 26th, after the evening service, we're going to meet And uh, we're going to talk about making sure we got everything set up and done and everybody coordinated, everybody working together. we got great leadership. Uh, We appreciate Kim being in charge of the food, the decorations, and all the ladies that are going to be doing the cooking and the serving, and the men that are going to do the heavy lifting and the cleanup afterwards, and also uh, the the work in lining up uh, people. I appreciate so much Brother Tyler, who's in charge of that. He's an administrative executive when it comes to the Beast Feast now, and he's got some good helpers, and praise God for everybody. Volunteer and show up. Now, we'll, we'll give you the, the game meat. That's going to be handed out the following week. And we've got, the, we got those recipes that are still tried and true. Anything you can do with beef, you can do with venison. We're also going to have other game meats as well. Some of them very mysterious. Not mystery meat like you might have gotten in some other institutions. But mysterious, I'm going to leave it unstated at this time. We're going to have all kinds of wild and domestic food. It's going to be good. Invite people out. It's absolutely free. But let us know how many are coming. You can sign up on the second sheet for that. The first sheet for food. And Sunday night be here for our meeting to get organized. And keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting. Amen and amen. Now, this Saturday, we got cleanup, and I appreciate all those who come out. And uh, we need to clean the carpets and clean the pews, and we need to straighten up the books, and we need to empty the garbage, and we need to get at the windows and the glass and everything clean and sparkling around here because guess what? Spring is going to be on us in less than a month. Spring is one month away right now, and it already feels like spring. You know what is wild? We're going to have 80-degree weather in this region and 100 miles north of us, they're going to have blizzards. God has a sense of humor. Now, I could say, you know, we deserve the warmth and they deserve the cold, but that would be judgmental and that would not be accurate probably. But I am so glad that we're going to have the warmth and that we need to, to use it for the glory of God. When we've got good weather, that means we can visit longer. We can visit more. We can do more to invite people, get out and about, and that's what we want to do. So... Saturday after cleaning, amen, we're going visiting. And last week I'm still I'm still on a high about that. Had a record number of visitation people which by the way, we're just going to go ahead and break that in another month and a and a week I think. We're going to adjust that out to go with the Phil America Phil Virginia campaign. We're going to break the record on a couple of uh, of levels and then We're going to order out, and I'm urging people to go into the bookstore on Sundays and get as many, procure as many tracks, Smiley Face tracks, and pass them out now, but then during the Fill America, Fill Virginia, let's exceed our previous totals, all right? So if uh, I'm trying to think back, I I can check with Brother Tyler, he's got it written down how many we actually got, but we're going to try to exceed that for the glory of God. See, people get saved, and it... Might have been during one of those campaigns when um, some of the folks that have been coming to church got saved and when they got contacted. And so let's, uh, let's do that with that in mind. And uh, we want to be, be getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. Now, we've got many exciting things coming up this spring. There will be a ladies' luncheon. There will be, there will be special military days. Uh, there will be, of course, uh, coming up Resurrection Sunday with a musical. We are practicing for the uh, mixed vocal ensemble that will be presenting their number next Sunday night. We'll be practicing this Sunday at 5.30. But also, that is a precursor to the the Easter season, the Resurrection Sunday choir. Amen. And each time, I want to grow it some more. And grow it some more until we don't have room. Amen. So we're going to grow it. And that's that's how we're coming back. We're coming back by measured... Uh, increases by measured improvements. And God is blessing because we're not doing anything that is out of the realm of the possible that He blesses. Uh, we're trusting Him, and it's all by grace, but praise the Lord. That's all good stuff. Amen. So that, that's coming up. Summertime activities. we got some surprises coming up, some good things happening. And then out in the fall, and then a year from now, and then two years from now, because as we said, when COVID hit, I looked at this thing, I prayed about it, and I said, it's going to be a certain amount of time. We are on schedule, folks. Now, I would like to have seen faster, bigger, sooner, but guess what? It's whatever uh, God grows, whatever God prospers, whatever God blesses. Amen? And it's, it's on an individual and a family basis, too. God is bringing individuals and families and and they're coming in, they're becoming a part, and they're growing spiritually. They're learning things. They're applying things. They're talking about the things, and they're facing challenges at the same time. We could preach a whole message on that. Nothing in the way of growth is going to happen without some opposition, some difficulty. But our God is great enough and strong enough, and He enables us enough that we can face those challenges by His grace. And we can come on through. We're going to come through. Amen. So guess what? We didn't, we didn't come here. We didn't come this far to quit. We didn't come this far to, to drop back, to stagnate, to spin our wheels, you know, to ponder, you know, and and uh, second guess. You know, a lot of that second guessing, that's Kadesh Barnea. What happened at Kadesh Barnea? The people failed at Kadesh Barnea because they decided to ponder and second guess the Lord. God never said, figure out it if you should go into the land or not. God said to the spies, you know, through uh, Moses, go in and come back with a report. They came back with a report. Ten of them negative, two of them positive, right? And the only two that were positive got to see the land. The rest of them died in the wilderness. So much for your, for your negative reports. We're not going to ponder what God has told us to do. I like what uh, Dr. Charles Hand used to say, evangelist friend of mine now in heaven, he used to say, you know, this may sound unspiritual, but there are a lot of things we just don't pray about. And I listened and then I heard him say this, you don't pray about whether or not you go to church. You don't pray about whether or not you win souls. You don't pray about whether or not you tithe. You don't pray about whether or not you live a holy, separated life. That's not something to pray about. You can pray about getting God's strength to to be consistent, but it's not either or. Should I be holy or should I not be holy? Should I tithe or should I not tithe? Come on, that's ridiculous. There are things we don't pray about because it's not something that's up for vote. It's, It's just supposed to be, and we trust God by faith. And your vote and mine is when we step out of the boat. We step out in faith and get it done. Amen. Got these charts on the day of the crucifixion, and I mentioned that there's an offset between the Gentile Roman days and the Hebrew Jewish days. That's one thing. And um, we we have located, we believe, according to the Scripture, the prescription, because we know when Jesus died and how long He was in the tomb. And uh, so we know when He observed the Lord's Supper and what it was connected to. It was connected to the Old Testament Passover, the old covenant pushed aside. The new covenant established. And that's what we're to do in remembrance of Him. As often as you do, do in remembrance. It's to remember the Lord. Some folks, uh, you know, they, they, do, uh, they do their rituals. And uh, sadly, they've kind of forgotten what it's all about. What it means. Or they have the wrong emphasis. So we want to keep that all right. and Praise the Lord for that. All right. And uh, we are... We are on the verge of breaking the record for our Bible campaign. All right. Sunday number nine of the year is coming up. We need just under $1,000. I sent out some texts today, didn't I? Did you all get some texts about that? Some of you did. Some some of you are a silent testimony to the fact that my phone doesn't always work right. But I sent out some texts. I already had some people say, I'll give X amount. We're on our way to that $1,000, just under $1,000. We hit $1,000 this Sunday on top of what's been given, and we break the all-time record. Okay? That means a hardback Bible in the hands of, wow, about 1,500, 1,600 Christians, third world Christians. That'll be wonderful. That's great. That is reality. That We're going to make a difference. Amen? Amen. So help us out with that. All right, I got my Bible tonight. How about you? And uh, I still believe the Bible's inspired. I hope you do too. Amen. And uh, we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. We've covered quite a bit of territory in there. This is, what, part four. We've got maybe two more parts and, and we're done. And uh, then on to chapter 16, and then on to Second Corinthians. And taking the Scripture verse by verse is something we like to do on Wednesday evenings because it is systematic. And you can build on what's already been declared, proclaimed, believed, and uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, we have seen in recent weeks the, uh, the truth from chapter number 15 with respect to to the gospel, the good news, and the evidence of the gospel. There is no question in my mind that Jesus rose from the dead, that He was seen of so many different witnesses in different places, and the, the impact, the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the transformation in lives. Those apostles, those disciples, uh, were so fearful that they fled. They, they forsook the Lord in the garden, yet later filled with and empowered with, endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were totally transformed to the point that they were willing to die for Jesus Christ. Now, people don't do that if it's based on a fraud. But the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ can be established. And I love all the books that were written. Josh McDowell. Now, he wasn't the first one. A fellow by the name of Morrison wrote a book back in the 1930s called Who Moved the stone. That was the first of one of those kinds of books. We've got the, 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 all the books that have been written uh, by uh, the, case, the case for Christ, the case for the resurrection. And these are written by lawyer types. And uh, just establishing the proof. So much so that to deny the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to fly in the face of the facts... And it's it's because they got a problem not with their head but with their heart. You run into somebody that's one of these uh, insistent—I mean, totally heels dug in kind of unbelievers. You're not going to convince them by mental, you know, gymnastics. You're only going to reach them by the power of God unto salvation the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You share the gospel. You do not have to become the world's greatest academic. You ought to be able to handle yourself. Be ready always to give an answer. Peter says, I'm ready. I'm prepared. Gone toe-to-toe with a lot of people, a lot of places. Not because I'm smart. It's because if we're filled with the Spirit and we know what we know, what we know, what we know, guess what? We've got the distinct advantage over the person who simply is an intellectual unbeliever. We've got the power of God on our side. Amen and amen. All right. Now we're coming to verse number 29. The question has been, uh, what have we got to draw upon? And Paul said, you, you believed when, when we first preached, you believed in the resurrection. Look what a change it made in your life. It's personal. And the doctrine." You know, standing on the promises, as we talked about last week. This, this uh, doctrine is solid. This is airtight, water tight. You've got it. You've, you've got the truth. Now we come to, uh, well, let's pivot on verse 28, shall we? Verse number 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, unto Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be, all in all. We've got that future look at what's going to happen. This, this is a picture. This is a snapshot of the future. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, who He claims to be. Even the enemy, even those that are opposed to Jesus Christ will one day bow and confess that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says He is. Now, we have this brought up. And I I gave you, if you got the promo uh, that was sent out electronically here just uh, minutes ago, uh, the question is asked, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of baptism for the dead? And I know that some of you have been waiting, uh, you know, on this answer. And so I'm going to share it with you now. It says, verse 29, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? I know, this got you confused. You're thinking, my, oh my, oh my, when did my Bible become, you know, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, Mormon book? All right? I'm going to clear it up for you tonight. First of all, we know this, that no single verse in the Bible contradicts the rest of the Bible. Would you agree with me on that? All right. If you've got a verse that appears to contradict the rest of the Bible, first thing you've got to think is, that's not possible. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine. All of it is correct. All of it is designed to correct me, to fix me. So how can that be if there's two different things? People who have said, when you read the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, it just appears that he's talking about justification by works for salvation. And that just seems to be contrary to the Apostle Paul who says we're justified uh, by faith over in the book of Romans. So who is right, James or Paul? They both are. It's all God's Word. See, it's this way. In terms of my heavenly record and my standing with God, I'm justified the instant I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. That means I am now, because of the finished work of God through Jesus Christ in my behalf, I am fit to go to heaven. And I will always be fit to go to heaven. On a daily practical basis, I've still got some things that we're working on. But in terms of my record before God, I'm justified. I've been justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the book of Romans, Paul writing, clears up the salvation part of it. But now what was James talking about? Justified. Justified by works. Justified by works. How can that be? Let's suppose, instead of being in Central Baptist Church, let's suppose you're down in XYZ uh, institution for the criminal element, all right? So I don't know which institution it is, but it might be a state institution. It might be a federal institution, but there you are. And there's some preacher there. And he comes and he preaches the gospel and leads you to saving knowledge of of Jesus Christ and you pray and you sincerely receive Christ as your Savior. According to the book of Romans, what are you? Justified. Now you're still doing, you know, 5 to 20 or whatever. And because of good behavior, they let you out in a period of time. And you go out to apply for work, and they say, "Now there seems to be a uh, x, x number of years uh, gaping hole in your resume. Where were you from such such a date to such such a date? You say, "Well, I was uh, making license plates. I was uh, working industrially, I was uh, studying in the, uh, the prison library. I was doing online courses, but Yes, I was in prison. Now, are you justified? According to the book of Romans, before God, you are justified. Before man, what are you? You're not justified. You know why? Because they're going to watch you like a hawk. You say, it's not fair. I'm justified with God. Right, but man isn't God. God's not man. They're going to watch you. Over time before man, has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with heaven, over time before man, you're going to be justified by your works. See what I'm saying? That's it. Now people who, you know, they're kind of like the, 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 the little worm on the, on the playground who, you know, gets two pieces, us you and you fight. They want to get a fight going on between Paul and James. Wrong. There is no fight. And there is no fight here either. You're going to find out. It hasn't got anything to do with what you think it's got to do with. All right. Why, verse 30, question, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what is advan- it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt, good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray you fill me with the Spirit. Help me now as I explain things in uh, detail so that we can practically apply the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No place else in the Bible does it say that a person earns their salvation by some works or rituals. And when you put on, for example, baptism and the Lord's Supper, some type of emphasis that the Bible does not place on them, when you take things out of context, for example, Jesus said, ha, Speaking, speaking to those that he was teaching, uh, until you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, and, and people say, hmm, that's kind of cannibalistic. Hmm. And then you have the mysterious crowd that come along, the big universal organization, religious organization that says, oh, when we take the bread and we take the, the wine and we go hocus pocus over them, It turns it into the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus Christ. That's attaching the wrong emphasis. That's misinterpreting what Jesus was saying. When Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was not talking about Eucharist or the Lord's Supper at all. He was talking about taking him in completely. That is what is known as a figure of speech. It is called a Hebrewism. A Hebraism. From Hebrew and ism. A Hebraism is a figure of speech that that crowd would understand. And unless I explain it to this crowd, there's going to be some, some folks that are saying, ah, that's Eucharist, uh, that's the Lord's Supper, uh, that's communion. No, it's not. To eat His flesh and to drink His blood, Jesus said, you got to take me in completely. Otherwise, it isn't working. Unless you take take me totally, completely, it's not working. You can't can't make me out to be some other part God, part human. No, no, no. I'm 100% God. I'm 100% man. You take me. You take me fully as the Scripture and as I declare myself to be. So that's what that means. Lord's Supper is symbolic. Baptism is symbolic. Now, there's a whole group of people. Who, starting out, they said, now, we got to wash these sins away. So the way we're going to wash these sins away, we're going to get down this tank of water or in this river, and we're going to wash the sins away. has nothing to do with actual washing away the sins. And then later on when they said, you know, this is awful inconvenient to get wet all over. Let's just, uh, let's just throw a little water at them. Let's just sprinkle a little water at them. Let's just make the sign of the cross on their forehead. Let's do a little, just a little bit of water because they may not always be able to get in a tank of water. So let's just give them a little bit of what's called convenience. It's not at all what is in the prescription of the symbolism. So they do the water, you know, they do the sign. Not, not enough to get them wet all over, but just a little bit wet, you know. And they believe the application of water in the case of little children... Takes away their guilt for the original sin. How many of you have ever heard that or been taught that someplace? I'm sorry to have to deliver the bad news. All the baby got was wet. And maybe, maybe cried a little bit, fussed a little bit, or whatever. That's it. Didn't do a thing. Because these are symbols. And in the case of baby sprinkling doing a cross on the forehead or whatever it is that they do, it's even a partial, it's a a morphed, changed symbol. It's not real. It's not the real thing. Salvation happened once for all. Praise the Lord. Jesus died once for all. You can never, read the book of Hebrews. He's not going to come back and die again. He's not going to come back and be buried again. He's not going to come back and rise from the dead again. And all those folks that think it's the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, what are they doing? They're taking Jesus through the death process, the passion process, all over again and all over again. Once for all, the Scripture tells us, He died. Once for all, He was buried. Once for all, He rose from the dead. Everything thereafter in the baptismal tank, and at the Lord's table, is symbolic. And the purpose is to give a clear picture of why Jesus came, to give a clear picture to remember Him. That's it. Now, when the Scripture says, says this, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? Looked this up, and here's what I discovered. It's hard for me to even say this. I know that there are certain doctrines and teachings in the Bible that have three, four different opinions. There are 30 distinct interpretations of this. So if you thought, oh my, it's us against the Mormons, it's our view against the Mormons' view, no it isn't. Actually, the least believable interpretation is the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints Mormon view that people get baptized, many of them after dark, in specially scheduled services. So, and they'll, they'll pull up a name. <clears throat> Deep in the mountains of Utah, there are files of people who have been dead for hundreds of years. And we're going to have a special service. And because you're really a fine uh, LDS person over here, Uh, We're going to let you be baptized 40 times tonight for 40 people. We've got the names right here. Now, these people don't know us. We don't know them. But they lived in such and such a year, and they didn't have a chance to become a Mormon. And so because someday, according to the Mormon church, people will stand in judgment before uh, Jehovah God the Father and Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith. They believe that. Uh, Because that they're going to have to stand in judgment We want to get you ready. So we're going to get you ready. Even though you people have been dead and gone, uh, we're going to get get you fit to stand before Joe Smith and uh, the other two. All right? So we're going to baptize you 40 times tonight, okay? And this is is for for Mrs. Jones. This is for Mrs. Brown. Boom, 40 times. You're going to get very wet. All right? Waterlogged. That's right. Okay. Now, here's the problem with that. That's not what it's saying. And if that ever existed, historians agree it only happened among heretics who also misinterpreted this and it didn't happen before the 2nd century A.D. So it wasn't happening in the 1st century A.D. They took this, this very verse. Isn't it interesting? People will take out of context Scripture so they can talk in gibberish. Even though that passage of scriptures is basically saying, don't talk in gibberish, you've got to have interpretation two or three, blah, blah, you know, like we've read in chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. But they'll take the Scripture that's against talking in gibberish, and they'll use it to talk in gibberish. Isn't it interesting, they'll take the Scripture... It talks against people teaching that you can lose your salvation and they'll, they'll teach that you can lose your salvation according to that scripture. They'll take it out of context. The, the same thinking is here. This is not teaching that there were actually people who were getting water baptism for somebody who had been long dead because, you see, water baptism has zero to do with saving anybody. It's not going to change anybody, any dead person's status. Well, then what does it mean? Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Come back to Romans because you've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His what? Say it, death, death. So baptism is a picture of death. Therefore we are buried, not sprinkled, buried with Him by baptism into death. That now next word is very important. Next word after that is a four letter word. What is it? Like, most misused word in our language today in the 21st century. I'm like, she's like, he's like. Well, okay. That like, it is an introductory term. And when it's correctly used in the English language, it is a simile. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also should walk in newness of life. So when a person is baptized, and this, this is, of course, referring to the salvation experience followed by the picture of the salvation experience, okay? So we understand what this is referring to. We have that like as, like as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We come out of the baptismal waters. That doesn't automatically mean that that person having thus been made wet all over that they are going to live right, does it? But it is a symbol of what they're, desire, what they're willfully and deliberately entering into. They're saying, I'm here in this tank of water to let you know symbolically that Jesus died for me, He was buried for me, He rose again for me. I am here in this tank of water to symbolically show you that I am dying to a self-willed way of life Being buried to that, and I'm rising again to walk in newness of life. And as such, I have the potential. I have the power available to me. Resurrection power to live victoriously as long as I'm yielding to God, submitting to Him. We are talking about that at devotions, weren't we? It comes down, people who talk too much and think too much about life's situations and circumstances get all tied up in all their words and their thoughts, it comes down to this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I have just given you, in an economy of words, what it is to be successful in your daily challenges. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Say, I'm just not sure if, if it's God or the devil who's doing this. Well, first of all, I believe God is sovereign. How about you? So God knows all about it, and God has to, at the very least, permit it, whether it's His perfect will or not. It's His permissive will. We understand that. He's in charge of everything, and so He's the one we should be praying to. Instead of complaining, or whatever it is we do, Pray to the Lord, say, Lord, I don't know what your purpose is in this. You'll make it clear to me if you want to. And I'm submitting to you. Whatever's in my life that's not right, I want to get right with you. I'm going to resist the devil. Uh, Satan, you have no business in my life, in my situation. I claim the blood. I claim the name of Jesus Christ, the authority of the one who is greater than you are. Be gone. Submit, resist. Submit, resist. Submit, resist. It doesn't get any simpler, folks. I'm not saying your life is going to be easy. I'm saying that's how you approach these situations that the devil wants you to go, hmm, who did this to me? Why is this happening to me? People just have to know why did it happen to my loved one? Why did it happen to my neighbor, my friend, my cousin, whatever? Can I just say very kindly in all love as your brother in Christ and as your pastor... That's not the main question. The main question is, what are you going to do about it? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Amen. In every situation. So there it is. So, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Baptism is a picture of what? Death, burial, resurrection. That's it. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we've got the evidence for the risen Savior. Gospel. You personally believed your life was transformed. How did that happen? Where did that come from? That came from real power. It really happened. The doctrine is clear. We're standing on the promises. I taught that last week. The doctrine is clear about the resurrection. It's clear that you're going to live again, that there is a heaven. There's going to be a future. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. That is clear. Now, in proving the point, I mean, you talk about another nail in the coffin. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why? Think like we think. Think like the Bible teaches, the rest of scripture, think about it. Why would anybody get into a baptismal tank, look at me, and submit to baptism if you didn't believe in the resurrection? Think about it. this could be this could be nasty. This is Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, have you received Christ as your savior? Amen. And uh you Praise God. That's good. You've received Christ. All right, therefore. All right, take a breath. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Buried in the likeness of His death. That would be a sad ending, wouldn't it? I've baptized many, many, many people in the last number of decades. Never left one of them on the bottom. But if the dead rise not, am I, are you with me? Baptism, the whole recipe changes, doesn't it? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Blah, 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 blah. When the bubbles stop coming up, it's too late to call 911. This is bad. No, 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 no. What we do, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. How many of you like that part of it? Amen. Boy, I tell you what, my my whole life flashed in front of me. My dad baptized me when I was eight years old. I already strongly suspected that there was a possibility that would be like, you know, I just showed you. Dad, you're going to get me up, aren't you? Dad, you're going to get me out of there. You know, I've only gone through the beginner's swimming program. Uh, You're going to get me up off the bottom, aren't you, Dad? If the dead rise not, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? With respect to death. With respect to the dead. What is baptism picturing at first? The dead. Burial. Now what is the it picture? The living. Those that have been raised from the dead. So, Paul is saying, Why are we bothering with baptism if the second part of it's phony? Why do we even baptize? And there's a bunch of people who have given up on baptism. They've changed it or whatever. And what would the result be? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? If If there's no resurrection, we're in terrible trouble. We're at risk. This is bad. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, the Lord. I die daily. He's saying, on a daily basis, I'm spiritually dying to my own self-willed way of living. That's what we show when we get baptized. That's the second part, the second, you know, application. First part is, this is what Jesus did. Second part is, this is what happened to me spiritually. Third part is, this is what's going to happen to me when the rapture takes place. Come on. We understand that, don't we? This is abundantly clear. I have not had a problem with this since the first time I read and understood it according to the other verses that I've shared with you. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageeth me if the dead rise not? Why should I be a martyr? And he's going to be one. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If if there's no resurrection, then we better have a good time. Party on, right? That's what he's saying. And now he throws in this this great, great scripture. It needs to be memorized. Dr. B. Myron Cederholm, the president of Maranatha Baptist Bible College, now Maranatha University, from which your pastor graduated a long time ago, used to preach this in chapel every year, if not once, several times. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. He was saying, That's one of the several times in the Bible, be not deceived, God is not mocked, et cetera, et cetera. You have that, be not. The worst deception is self-deception. Included among self-deceivers are those who think they can hang out with the wrong company and still be okay. You can't. My only contact with the lost world, backslidden Christians, those that aren't right with God, my only contact should be evangelistic and not to be best buds and, and, uh, you know best uh, forever friends, and uh, tied together, you know, and, uh, you know, inseparable. The reason is because you hang around with them. You're not going to make them better. They're going to make you worse. Evil communications, bad, bad companions ruin or spoil good behavior. Teach your kids. Teach your grandkids. There it is. It's like mom used to say, don't hang out down at the corner with that bunch. They're just going to ruin you. They're going to, you know, you're going to end up in trouble with them. They're going to get you in trouble. Of course, mom was looking at it through mom's lens. She didn't realize that we were equally bad. But but she didn't want us to be with them and be bad. So she was warning us about that. And it's true. Evil, evil companionship, uh, wicked companionship is going to rub off. And everybody who's got an old nature, everybody raise your hand. Got an old nature? Yes, you do. Everybody's got an old nature, we're prone to that. Watch out. Watch out. So, you know, it all started when I got hooked up to cable. Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to preach tonight on that subject. But there are some people that can go back to the time when they got off on the wrong thing. They got into the wrong crowd. They decided they wanted to... Join this club, this group, this organization, this thing. And guess what? It impacted them. And if they think back, that's where they got loose in this area or that area. That's where they started talking the wrong way, thinking the wrong way, hanging out, doing the wrong things. Awake to righteousness. Here's what we need. We need a, an awakening, a renewal. Somebody asked me Sunday, what about the Asbury revival? How many of you have heard about that? Down at Asbury, which is a Westland, uh, that's like old-fashioned Methodist uh, institution uh, of higher learning, back in 1970, they had a a, a continuous protracted religious event that they call Revival. And uh, here recently, they had a choir that sang, and people hung around, sang a bunch of praise and worship music, and they came to pray, and it's just kind of a spontaneous thing, and they're calling it Revival. Now, whether or not something's a revival has to be determined by the specifications of Scripture. That's the first thing. But if there's a real awakening, a real renewal, several things are going to happen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. If we want revival, we've got to meet God's God's standards. We've got to meet his prescription. And that means humbling ourselves. And the net result is there's going to be, well, it's like when, when Billy Sunday would come to town and they, they put up a tabernacle, they put one nail in every board because those things would seat anywhere from 5,000 to, I think there was one in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania that seated 40,000 people. They put one nail in every board because if there ever was a fire break out and it was highly subject to, to incendiary you know, occurrences, you could kick out the wall and everybody could get out and not be burned to death, or trampled to death trying to get out. But when he would hold a meeting, the net result would be, at the invitation, an average of 80-something people a minute would come forward, shaking his hand, coming forward to profess Christ publicly. And whole towns were transformed. And Sin City would close down. I mean, they didn't just put a nice veneer on it. I mean, the whole character of a town was changed when there was revival. When real revival comes, God's people get back to doing what they're supposed to do anyhow. We get back to reading our Bibles, raising our kids, and conducting our marriages according to the Bible. We we get back to an old time schedule, an old time routine. It's not this 21st century, excuse me, brand of Christianity light. We're talking about the old, I'm talking about First century Christianity for the 21st century. And that's what we need again. So I'm not judging Asbury. I don't know what's going on. I haven't been there. I haven't spent one second. Just found out that there was this protracted gathering that was taking place. And, and good for them. We could use more protracted gatherings. Nowadays, you know, if we have... Uh, we go five minutes over preaching, people get a little concerned. So... We need some protracted meetings. Amen. We need some stirrings that take place. And I I want there to be some long-term results. I want to see families come to God. I want to see neighborhoods change. I want to see uh, people starting to, to live like Sheldon's book in his steps. Where it changes the town. It changes society. Amen. You don't set out to change it. You set out to present Jesus Christ And Jesus comes in, and when Jesus comes in, the other junk goes out. Amen. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I want everybody to know that Jesus is in the house, that Jesus is at work, that we're all going to a wonderful, sweet by and by, and until we get there, we're going to live like it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart, stirred me, or helped me? Slip your hand up high. Something. Amen. Praise the Lord. I trust that as we leave this place, it'll be a new beginning. Amen. We're going to be singing in just a moment. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And would you pray from your heart right now something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me, and right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, won't you come and let us know. We're going to stand.